0: And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Let's pray. Father, open us up to your word. Open your word up to us. May you transform us. May you settle these truths deep in our heart. May we begin to look at the world through the lenses of this text that we would not define reality by what we perceive or what we assume, but by what you have told us reality actually is. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So every once in a while, I like to watch cooking shows, and uh, so one of my favorite cooking shows is Chopped. So you ever seen Chopped? It's a cooking competition show, and they have this mystery basket of ingredients, and and they you know have to try to make something creative and tasteful and all this stuff. Well, I can't count the number of times where someone is cooking and they got a saucepan on the stove, and they're saying that they're making some sort of a reduction. Reduction in cooking. Some of you are cook- you know, cookers. Yes, chefs or, <laughs> yes, cookers. Yes, cookers. This is how we, we speak good grammar here at Cross United Church. Some of you know how to cook, and uh, and you know that when you reduce something, what you're doing is you're you're heating it up, simmering it, or boiling it, so that water evaporates and you reduce it down to the essence of the flavor and what's there. Well, if you literally boiled down everything that we do as Cross United Church, if you simmered it and boiled it down until everything extraneous had evaporated, you would be left with one word. You would be left with one word, one person, and that is Jesus. Now, we talk about in this context how Jesus is not like people don't know the name of Jesus. It's not like people have never heard of Jesus But it's that Jesus has become, on the one hand, sort of this cliche, sort of this religious spiritual cliche, or on the other hand, just like another way to express frustration. It's sort of like a cuss word. So people know the name of Jesus, but what they don't know is the real power of who Jesus actually is. So if you reduce down who we are as a community, all that we have, all that we have to offer, all all that we are, the only reason it matters is because of that one name, Jesus. We talk about wholehearted worship. Wholehearted worship is impossible apart from Jesus. We talk about authentic community. It's impossible to really get into the nitty-gritty of knowing and loving one another apart from Jesus. We talk about mission. We talk about purpose. We talk about doing something that matters in the world. And it's impossible to really, truly pursue a meaningful mission in life apart from Jesus. Everything we talk about as a church boils down to Jesus. And so what we're going to see in this text in Ephesians chapter 2 is we're going to see when you boil it down, what is life without Jesus actually like and what is life with Jesus actually like? And just to summarize it, to give you kind of an overarching summary, life without Jesus is actually death. There we go. Life without Jesus is actually death, but life with Jesus is actually life. Now, I know that some of you are skeptical about this, or maybe just you're not quite sure, because we're talking about things that are invisible. We're talking about things you can't objectively prove. So I'm going to talk to you this morning about spiritual realities that you can't point to and you can't see with your eyes. We're we're talking about things that are not, you can't add up like an equation and prove that it's true. When you think about it though, the most important things of life fall into this category. I talked last week about how can I prove that I love my wife? I can't show you, I can't give you a formula. I can't say I can't prove it like I can prove that two plus two equals four, or that you know uh, that this pulpit is is here and it's black. I can't prove that to you. What I can do is I can tell you stories about our life together. You can watch our life together, and you could see the way I treat her and how I speak to her, and you could say, "Yeah, he's not perfect, but I think he genuinely loves her." You take all of this evidence and you begin to build a cumulative case that something invisible like love is actually true and is actually there. Well, I think it's the same with the truth about God and the truth about spiritual things. I can't put 2 plus 2 equals 4 and prove it to you beyond, beyond what you may consider a reasonable doubt, but I can tell you stories, and I can point you to things the Scripture says that when you add it up, make sense of the world as we actually experience it. And so if you're skeptical, maybe it's your first time back in church, maybe you're not sure if you believe uh, in Jesus or you're not sure about even religion in general, what I'm asking of you is to, to just listen in with an open mind and see, does this make sense of the world that you actually live in? Does this explain things in a way that maybe another system of explanation doesn't or the way you tend to look at the world doesn't explain things? Because what reality is, as Christians we believe, what reality is, is that life without Jesus is actually death, and life with Jesus is actually life. So let's look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Look at Ephesians 2, and 1 through 3. There we're going to see life without Jesus. The first thing we see about life without Jesus is that anyone who is living life without Jesus is actually dead. And you know so so they are quite literally like the zombies from the Walking Dead. They are literally they have animation, they have motion, they have some sort of of, of s- some sort of form of life, but they are not actually alive. Every person who is Outside of Jesus is a spiritual zombie. That, that's, that's what the Bible teaches us. And it's, it's hard to wrap your mind around that. But we know this is true because every person dies physically. The reason physical death is a thing is not because it's a natural process of, of the way nature works. It's because spiritual death leads to physical death. That spiritual death is shown in the physical death of every person who has ever lived. It says there in verse 1, You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Every person who's ever lived has been born, stillborn, spiritually speaking because of sin, because of rebellion against God, because of running away from the way that God designed the world to work and what God called the world to be and what God called us to be. Number two, life without Jesus. Living life without Jesus means, some, means you are imprisoned. Look at verse two. It says, in which you previously lived according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. Now the the, the the word there for live, some of your translations um, will say walked. And that's because literally it's a metaphor for life is is how you walk, how how it's it's the way you live your life, the manner in which you live your life is 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 your walk, your journey, your path. And what 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 the text says is that apart from Christ, apart from Jesus, that you are imprisoned to the ways of this world and the ruler of the power of the air. So, so here, here's the thing. The physical world is not all there is and is not prime reality. There is, there is another dimension, if you will, that exists that is more real than the world that we see. And that is the spiritual realm, the non-physical realm. And it sounds creepy and it sounds weird, but we we have a deep-seated inclination inside of ourselves to know that this is true. How do I know? Because Halloween, because we all have, you know the stories of ghosts, stranger things, and the story of this this upside down dimension. people say, "Well, that's just fantasy. Why do stories like that? constantly pervade our culture? Why do stories about the non-physical reality of, of some sort of extraterrestrial life or some sort of other dimension or like in, um, in, in you know The Flash, the superhero shows on, on um, the CW, it's like Earth 1, Earth 2, all of these other dimensions. Why is that so prevalent? It's because there's within us this deep-seated knowledge that there's more than what we can see. He says, "Apart from Christ, you are imprisoned by these unseen forces. One of those is called the ways of this world, or, or uh, qu- quite literally, the age of this world. There, there is there is a, a a power at work that is is against what God would have. There's this there's this mindset." that is set against God's design for the world that captivates every human culture in every place and in every time it does it in different ways so ancient cultures may have had child sacrifice right and so that, that and they had all this pagan like witchcraft stuff and other cultures may set themselves against God in terms of secularism and then justify child sacrifice in terms of secularism that there's all sorts of ways that it manifests itself, but every culture, every, every society is captured and every person is captured according to the age of this world. And according, to, it says there, to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the sons of disobedience. This gets really weirdly spiritual really fast. And this is talking about the devil. Not like the cliche like Dana Carvey, the church lady on SNL, Satan. You know, like, but this is real stuff. There is real spiritual stuff happening in the world. It's, um, as, as, as he says here, um, he says, you are captive according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. The reality is there's no such thing as a non-spiritual person. Every person lives a spiritual life. Every person follows a spiritual path. It's just what spirit are they following? I I love the movie The Usual Suspects, you know? I don't know if anyone's ever seen it. I'm not recommending it if there's any bad stuff in there. It's not recommended. But um, you know, at the end of the movie there's this quote and you've heard it, I'm sure. where, where it's talking about this this infamous Uh, criminal, and it says uh, Kaiser Soze, and it says the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. this, This is what we see at play in our world, that we are imprisoned to spiritual forces. We're captive to spiritual forces. Third, we're addicted. Verse three, we too previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts, and we were by nature children of wrath as the rest were also. So, so every person, you included, you are captive to the desires of your heart. And without Jesus, the desires of your heart bend in a selfish direction. That is the essence of sin. That is the essence of rebellion against God. It is putting self above God, and therefore everything ends up circling around yourself, and and let's just let's just for a second, let's just pretend that God didn't like write the Ten Commandments. let's just take that. Let's set that aside just for a minute. And let's just talk about your own standards. You have a standards for the way you want to treat your kids. You have standards for the way you want to talk to your spouse. You have standards for the way you want to live uh, life. You have standards for how you want to eat. You have standards for how you want to do you know, exercise. You have all these standards that you have, and you never live up to them perfectly. Let alone God's standards, you don't even live up to your own standards because you're captive to the desires of your heart. This is why New Year's resolution, right? Your New Year's resolutions, you are, you know, every year people make these resolutions and they they keep them and maybe they start a new habit, but nobody keeps them perfectly all the time. We don't live up to our own standards, let alone bringing in now God's standards. We're captive to the desires of our hearts. We are captive to what we most desire. Fourth Life outside of Christ is doomed. We were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. So here he's talking about Jews and Greeks. So the Jews were God's specially chosen people. And he says they're under wrath. By nature, just like the Gentiles, that there, there's no one who escapes. There's no special privileged class of people. Everyone is under the sentence of God's judgment and wrath because of their sin, dead in sin. One writer says that the picture that the text paints is bleak. Because of sins, humans are the living dead. They live in keeping with a world order that ignores God and in keeping with a tyrant who works to cause disobedience. In their enslavement, they follow desires and distorted reasonings that leave God out of the picture, and therefore they are under God's wrath. But the main point of Ephesians, and especially of this section, 2, 1 through 10, is that God will not stay out of the picture. And that's where we get to the beautiful contrast word in verse 4, but... And here we see what life with Jesus is, what God offers to anyone who turns to Jesus. But, so all of this bad news, but God. I heard R.C. Sproul call this once the apostolic however. And he said, because if I called it the apostolic but, you would all laugh. But it's always stuck in my mind. This is the apostolic but. But God, but God being rich in mercy. Because of his great love that he had for us made us alive together with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. This is actually the, fir- the first time the subject and the verb in the sentence are present in this first three verses. It's all building up to this point. That God, who is rich in mercy and great in love, will not leave us where we are. That he will not leave us there. He has loved us to life. That's the first thing. Life with Jesus means you are loved to life. Mr. Rogers has, has been getting a lot of uh, good press again lately. I loved Mr. Rogers as a kid. I got a Mr. Rogers sweater when I was four years old and uh, said, just like Mr. Rogers, and I was very, very into Mr. Rogers, and I still am, uh, really appreciate all he did and all he stood for. Some of you have seen the documentary. I haven't actually seen it yet but I, I was kind of getting, uh, you know, sentimental and watching old Mr. Rogers' clips on YouTube, and, uh, and there's this part where he gets honored with a Lifetime Achievement Award. I don't know if anyone saw that, if it's on the documentary or whatever. And he stops, and all these people are honoring him, and he says, I want you to pause and take 10 seconds, and I want you to think about those who have loved you into being. And, and he just, he captivates this audience with his quiet way that, as he did And everyone sits for 10 seconds and thinks about the people who have loved them enough to get them to where they are. How much more so those who have been rescued by God have been loved to life as he sent Jesus and Jesus was crucified and buried and raised from the dead so that those who are brought into fellowship with Christ and live life with Jesus can be raised as well. Second, saved by grace, verse 5. You are saved by grace. Th- this, is, this is the most important word in the passage. All Christianity, if we had another word, I talked about the reduction, right? If you're going to do a Christianity, I'm making a Christianity reduction over a, you know, um, uh, I don't know, I don't know enough about cooking to make up something. But I, if you're going to reduce Christianity down to one word, it's going to be Jesus. But if you had to pick another word, that word would probably be grace. Grace is that, that God bestows not... Now, mercy is that he doesn't, he, he doesn't just give us what we deserve. But grace, I think, is even better. And that's it. Instead of giving us what we deserve, he gives us abundantly more on top of that. So, for example... Um, my, my son was having a hard time recently, um, and, uh, and, and I, you know, I said, hey, Judson, if you don't do this, you're going to, you're going to have to, you know, be disciplined, and he didn't listen. I said, buddy, you're going to have to be disciplined, and, uh, and he's still not listening. He's really, and I just realized this kid's exhausted, and so I just pick him up. I said, hey, how about instead of, how about instead of getting in trouble, I just give you a, I just give you a kiss, and we, we just go, and get some rest and I just gave him a little kiss on the head. Instead of what he deserved, I gave him the, the, uh, a, 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 sen- a sense of the fact that I loved him and I was for him. This is what God does for us in an infinitely greater way. He, he doesn't give us the punishment we deserve for our sin, but he gives us all of his riches, all of his grace, all of his glory, all of his kindness, both here and into eternity. One writer says, Herman Bovink, who's a great theologian from the 1900 says grace has given us back more than we lost. Now some streams of Christianity and I, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to throw stones but but for example, Roman Catholic theology views grace quite a bit differently than I think the text talks about here. And the way gr- grace is viewed in that scheme is that it, it sort of is like giving life support or giving, uh medicine to somebody who is is not doing really well and it's sort of it sort of aids them to, to become a better person and to become healthier again and that's not bad but i think the text here talks about something much more radical and that is grace is not giving uh help to someone in need it's giving life to someone who is dead it's, it's, it is not life support or, or medicine to an unhealthy person. It is resurrection for the gra- from the grave for a dead person. This is, the, this is what the picture, Scripture paints for us. We are dead spiritually, and grace comes in like Jesus goes to Lazarus in the tomb and says, Lazarus, get up. And as God called Jesus from the grave, get up and be raised. God calls us to life spiritually, and this is grace. Grace. Number three, we are enthroned in glory. Look at verse 6. He raised us up with him, and he seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Um, so what is, one writer says, what is true of Jesus is true of us. So, so the biblical view of a person is very counterintuitive because the, the world's view, the, the, the age of this world tells you one of two things. You're a loser and you stink, or you're a winner and you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you right? So there's, there's these two extremes. You, are, you have all that you need. You're awesome. Everyone gets a participation trophy, or you stink, you lost, you get nothing. But the biblical view says yes to both for different reasons. Yes, you are a wretched sinner, dead in your sin. And, and, and I was talking with, with um, uh, Tyler this week. We were having a meeting and talking about how to deal with criticism, uh, or how to deal with someone who's, 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 who's saying something like, like and, and trying to, you know, point out something you haven't done right or wrong. And, I, and what I said is something I've had to learn, and I'm still learning. I haven't, by any means, really learned it. And that is, there is nothing that someone can say to you that's worse than what God has already said to you. Because what God has said to you is you are so wretchedly sinful that I had to send my perfect, eternal, sinless son to die in your place because that's what you deserved. And if you think anything anyone could ever say about you is worse than that, it's not, there, God has already pronounced over you a verdict that you are worse than you could have ever even imagined. But then in the gospel, it's the, the other side of the coin, that God loved you so much that not just that he had to do that, but that he wanted to, that he loved you enough to, to, to give his son to die for you, that it took the death of the son of God Tim Keller says that you're far wretched, more wretched than you ever dared imagine, but you're far more loved than you ever dared hoped. This is a biblical view of self, that you are wretched in your sin, but if you are in Christ, you are also a royal ruler of the universe in Christ. Number four, those who are living life with Christ will be spoiled. I couldn't think of another way to say this except spoiled righteous, spoiled righteous. So I I just, I was trying to think of how to capture verse 7. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 is actually the main verse, the main point of the whole 10 verses. This is the purpose of God in our salvation, so that in the coming ages He might display the immeasurable riches of His grace through His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So why did God save you? So that forever he could spoil you with the love and the grace and the kindness that you don't deserve. God saved you. He chose you. He adopted you. He forgave you if you are in Christ. So that forever you could bask in the glory of what he has done. He saved you to give you the type of life that you could have never imagined, like, like a child in utter poverty being adopted by, by a wealthy family and be given far more than they could ever have imagined, a life of privilege and, and comfort and, and, and all of the rest God has done here so that. This is the purpose of grace, the purpose of God's love. This is what life with Jesus leads to, being spoiled righteous, being so spoiled forever that we become eternally like like the, the, these, these great and glorious beings that God intended us to be in, in communion with Him forever. Number five, saved by grace through faith. Now, if you know any passage from Ephesians, this is probably it. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. The best part about memorizing scripture is that you have it memorized. The worst part is if you start preaching from a different translation, it's hard because they change the word order a little bit. So I, I have this memorized in a little bit different word order, and so it's good to be startled a little bit by by some of the by some of the ways it's translated here. For you are saved by grace through faith. It's sort of like, and I, it's like. The way you get water, which is needed to live, is through a pipe. Or the way you get medicine that's needed uh, for health is through maybe an injection of a needle. So so grace is what brings life, and faith is how we appropriate grace. It's the instrument. It's by grace through faith. Um, One writer says this, people who believe do not merely assent to certain ideas. They are bound to God and live in response to Him. Salvation does not come from believing ideas or an emotional decision, but from being bound to Christ. Another writer goes on to say, the life of true faith cannot be that of cold, metallic assent in the mind. It must have the passion and warmth and love of communion so, so faith is not just mentally saying okay that makes sense but it is a wholehearted embrace that this is what is true of me and this is what is true of the world for you are saved by grace through faith and this is not from yourselves it is god's gift not from works so that no one can boast we live in a world of boasting, right? That's all social media is. It's digital boasting. It's curating the best parts of your life and putting it out there so you can, like, humble brag about it, right? So, oh, it's such a great day. It's such a beautiful day. My kids are beautiful, you know? And then you, uh, and then I, I was listening to something recently, a podcast, and they're talking about, you know, the no filter hashtag. You post something on Instagram and you say hashtag no filter because you didn't, like, adjust the picture. But what you don't say is that you have 19 of the same picture because it was out of whack or it was out of alignment or the kids weren't smiling or whatever, and you've, you've carefully curated this picture of your life, digital boasting. This is, this is our inclination as people to want to be seen as having it together and having, it, ha, having a life worth envying. But here the text says, no, 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 you are saved by grace through faith as a gift no one can boast. You can't boast about what you didn't earn. You can only rejoice that you have it. You you can boast about the one who gave it to you, but you can't boast about yourself. And then finally, number six. Life with Jesus makes you both a work of art and an artist. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So this word here, for we are his workmanship, is actually the Greek word "poema," where we get the word poem. It, it, it's, it refers to a masterpiece. It refers to something that is done by an expert in, in their field and, and is something that, that people marvel at. This is what God is doing in the life of a person who lives life with Jesus. He is making them, he's making you into a beautiful work of art. He is making you into something that people are going to marvel at for eternity. They're going to see you and say, I am amazed at what God has done in your life. This is amazing. This is beautiful. Like like people go to museums and they see these beautiful works of art from hundreds or maybe thousands of years ago. They they see these masterpieces and they marvel even now. This is what God is doing in the life of a person who lives life with Jesus, who has been raised from spiritual death and given spiritual life but then he says we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works so we don't just become a work of art sort of sitting on the wall for people to marvel at we actually become sort of apprentice craftspeople ourselves to be able to make works of art in the world as well we begin to 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 make something that is beautiful with our lives and we, 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 we partner with God in other people's life becoming a work of art. And we, we pour into people and we begin to help God shape in them. We begin to partner with God as he, he's chiseling away the stuff to, to, to make these beautiful masterpieces of his grace. And he allows us to be a part of that. He's gifted us in so many different ways. And so some of us, we, we, you might do that um, and, and by, by helping with kids' ministry sometimes. And you, you're pouring into these kids, and you're hot, and they're grumpy, and it's like, oh, my gosh, these kids, especially, you know, like, oh, oh my goodness, is this making any difference? Yes, it is. Or, or you're, you're, you're meeting with someone once a week or you're coming to Bible study and you're, you're contributing to the discussion. You're saying, well, this is kind of what God uh, is teaching me through this passage or this is, this is what's going on in my life and, and I'd love to help, help you be encouraged like, d- about what Jesus' love means and what it can mean for you or you come early and you help set up or I any mean, thousand number of ways that you partner with God to make a masterpiece as you have been made into a masterpiece. In the '70s, um, in Philadelphia, there was a massive graffiti problem, and uh, to the point where, and, and this is not just in Philadelphia, but they 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 kept spray paint behind a locked you know case. You couldn't you couldn't get it off the shelf. You had to have an I you know you had to show you were 18 years old, and and there was just this massive. Uh, Epidemic of graffiti all over this this vandalism that 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 was uh, was plaguing the city, and so they they came up with these laws and these these ordinances to to try to prevent it from happening. And then when they would catch uh, these taggers, these graffiti, uh, these people who were vandalizing property with graffiti. Um, you know, they, they would punish them. They would have to do community service. They'd have to, you know, scrub walls and clean off the, the stuff, you know, whether, the, whether themselves or other people had done. Um, sometimes they would make them, like, sign a pledge that they weren't going to graffiti anymore. This is so often how we view the Christian life and life with Jesus. It's like, okay, you got to help clean up the mess you made. And God, God says, oh, well, in our minds we say, God's making us clean up the mess or I'm gonna sign a pledge that I'm not gonna sin anymore. But then the city had a brilliant idea. They said, What if we took these vandals and deployed their talents so that they could be artists? And they they be, they, 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 they they started this this mural project where they didn't just try to scrub graffiti off, but they covered it with something beautiful. They they painted these murals that that these really talented professional artists would come in and design and paint and what they began to do is they began to take these graffiti vandals and they began to train them with these professional artists so that they could take this 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 skill that they had used for destruction and use it for something beautiful and they began to apprentice these graffiti vandals to become artists and they and they began to have these 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 vandals partnering with these these professional artists and they began to be a part of not just scrubbing off the destruction, not just pledging that they wouldn't do it anymore, but to make something beautiful. This is what Jesus is offering to you. He doesn't just want to have you stop graffitiing the walls of your life and the walls of the lives of the people around you. He doesn't want you just to, to, to stop and pledge that you're not going to do it anymore. He does want you to stop. He does want you to have something better. He does want to deliver you from death and imprisonment and addiction and the doom of his wrath, but he wants to, to, to deliver you from that for something. He wants to make you a work of art who then partners to make the lives of others into works of art as well. This is, why, this is why if you reduce the church down and we say Jesus, this is what Jesus does. He takes vandals and he makes them into artists. He takes criminals and he makes them into genius artists in partnership with the greatest artists of all. So I don't know what your, um, what your next step is. If you have that connection card I mentioned earlier, this is something you'll, probably only, maybe only you and God know that on that card, that first, that first spot says that you, you want to live true life with Jesus. You've never truly, you've never truly acknowledged the reality of who you are apart from Jesus. You've never seen or truly believed that you are a spiritual zombie apart from Jesus, and you need to hear the word of the gospel to turn from your sin and trust in him, and you need to do that today. And if that's you, just check that off, and you can put that in the offering box, or you can say, hey, man, I I really, I checked this off, and I want to talk to you about it, or I'm not sure, you know, if you don't, if you're like in the middle, you're like, I'm not sure. Like, don't don't freak out. Like, say, bring that card. I'd love to talk with you. Or if someone's wearing a Cross United T-shirt, they're probably a good person to talk with as well. Or many others in the room as well. Don't just don't just process it and and not do anything with it. Maybe the second thing is you are a Christian, but you have been living life like all God wants from you is for you to clean up your mess and to stop. Doing bad things and you have not realized that he has he has raised you to life so that you would be a work of art and an artist in the life of other people that you would be partnering with him to make something beautiful out of the brokenness of this world and that you have been you've been living like a spiritual orphan you've been living like a, a spiritual pauper and he is calling you to embrace all that he offers to you in life with Jesus and maybe that second thing is what you need to do. Maybe, maybe it's partnering uh, with the ministry of Cross United in some way, serving, getting connected to a Bible study to be shaped into that masterpiece that God wants for you and to partner with God to help others become what He wants them to be as well. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that um, you take criminals and you turn them into master artists. You turn them into beautiful things. You take graffiti and you turn it into uh, something that people are going to look at for generations with awe at the beauty of it. Thank you you're doing that in the lives of those here. Thank you you're doing that in my life. You're taking me from someone who vandalizes my own life and the life of those around me because of my sin. And my, that, that you are turning me into someone who is a masterpiece of your grace. Who can partner with you into helping other people become masterpieces of your grace as well. Thank you that you're doing that in the life of every person who you've called to yourself. And I pray that you would just continue to shape the hearts of every person who is here. And however they're supposed to respond this morning, I don't know that. I'm not the Holy Spirit, but Lord, you know that. And so I pray that you would lead them to respond. And even if it's just, oh, Lord, how great you are. Even if it's just that response, whatever it is, Lord, you would lead them to respond in the way you're calling them to respond. In Jesus' name, amen.